Yo, it's your pal Sig Neutron here with a special guest episode. On uh, and today's guest, I have amazing artist, longtime friend, might as well even say family, Ave Rose. And if you don't know, that's Ranny's sister. And Ave is an amazing artist. She was she's done all kinds of things. A writer. Uh, she was on a reality show called Steampunked. Uh, she does like crazy awesome art with taxidermy uh meets well like insects and and reptiles and animals and bones meets uh gears and clocks and cool and i don't know it's very ave it's it's uh you could view it as dark but i feel like you could also view it as fantasy too it all depends on how you want to view it and that's part of the magic of ave's work so uh yeah i'm joined well you know what i this is the recording that i record after we've done the interview so let's just get to the interview and then i'll introduce everybody <laughs> i'm sig neutron and this is so thanks for joining me ave Hi, it's good to be here. <laughs> it's, uh, again, this is one of the interviews that are fun to do because like, we know each other and we're good friends and it's like we're just hanging out. And I'm also joined by Ranny. Hey, guys. Ranny, oh. my little sister. I've That's... known this woman all my life. <laughs> so I couldn't think of a better co-host for this particular <laughs> guest. So, um, yeah, so with the most of the guest episodes, I like to start uh, because, again, I'm all about embracing your weirdness and I'm always fascinated by the journey that uh, we take to get where we are and why we do what we do so like what what were you what was Ave like as a kid um well some would call me a great fibber (laughs) (laughs) others would consider me a great storyteller I'll let you decide (laughs) no I uh, I had a wild imagination and uh, I would do things like come come up with this grand adventure and this is like, I didn't even know what Dungeons and Dragons was like, even though this was in the 80s. Um, but I kind of made up my own adventures and would come to the playground and gather a bunch of like random people, people who weren't even in my class. And it would just be like this, you know, oh, we have to find this stone and the stone is going to lead us to this gate and then this gate's going to lead us to this like secret garden. Um, I got in so much trouble for stealing the spam keys. So for, <laughs> for you guys out there who don't know what a spam key is, Go down the rabbit hole and look it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. She got some kid in trouble. Uh huh. Her spam key and a map, and I guess a girl was digging in her backyard. Yeah. Or Wait, she got yeah, it's true. Because I would like, so yeah, the, you know, like the playground is, you know, it's protected by a chain link fence. Mm-hmm. And then I would like bring the spam key and I would say, okay, now we have to find the like right keyhole. So we would just like wander through the whole like, entire chain link fence trying to stick the key the spam key through every hole that we could as I explained what was going to be there when we found it and it's weird because in my mind I wasn't thinking like oh this is a lie what's going to happen I like totally believed in it Uh I was was taking it one step at a time you know I was never thinking like what's going to happen when we reach reach the chain 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 you know when we reach the end of the gate and Uh it was kind of a perfect Perfect end because we, of course, there's no way that you could reach the end of the gate without that many, many holes. So it's just like story time with like a vice. That's, so. that's really cool. Like it's, you know, I I think 
imagination is something that we really need to encourage in the young people, but it's like modern era, it seems to be something to dismiss or makes you weird or something, you know. Um, but I think it's starting to change. But I think it's, it's always important that we nurture imaginations of kids. But like, that's kind of cool. Like you were like basically LARPing before you knew what LARP was. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. I had the items and everything. And uh, there was there was a thing called a make and do book back in the day. Oh. And um, they used to come in these collections of like Lullab- like uh, nursery rhyme books and stuff, but there was always one book that was like a ma- like how to make crafts, uh-huh. and I had this make and do book that was actually how to make an ant like an look antique looking map, and it was like you know you get tea bags and then you put in the wa- you know hot water that you can microwave and then you put the, pa- the paper in and it like stains it in certain spots. So I was like legit man. Nice. <laughs> I was a prop maker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there was something about like maps and old parchment that was I was absolutely fascinated by as a kid. Like if it was like it had to be yeah like distressed. You ever do the or, old tea bag trick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old map and the tea bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> X marks the spot. Uh. Yeah, but uh, but the problem was I guess that got me into trouble was I was so I was so convincing, and even though like. I believed in it. I still kind of knew it was a game, but there were kids who like took it so seriously. And also, I didn't realize how competitive kids were because mm-hmm. I, by nature, I'm, I've never been very competitive. Mm-hmm. I don't think. <laughs> uh, do I have two two although little sisters who she secretly uh, would... hates anyone who does anything better than her? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I was surprised to see some kids kind of like fighting over who was going to find the treasure first, and things like that. That kind of got me into some trouble. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but yeah, it's interesting what you say about that that being weird thing because my favorite movie in the whole wide world is The Neverending Story, and there's this part where you, you know his father says, "Bastion, you have to have your head. You got to get your head out of the clouds, and you have to grow up one day." Mm-hmm. And then you learn that you know that was that was the entire reason why he felt so isolated and alone was because he felt like he had to grow up. He couldn't just be himself. Mm-hmm. And that was what was ruining that world. And I always reference the never-ending story. If I feel sad, I tell myself, don't let the swamps of sadness get to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the idea that Fantasia is dying because people are losing their imaginations, it's such a revel. I mean, seriously, people, if you haven't seen the never-ending story, you should watch it because it's very revelant. I use mm-hmm. it today all the time yeah there, there's so many hidden meanings in like our art and and things and even just kids movies like that there's a reason why those films resonate so strongly with generations and generations and you know it's because it's not necessarily the story it's the themes that they represent and yeah imagination is, is really important like it uh einstein said that you know like they, everybody thinks he's this brilliant technical scientist which he was but he said that imagination was the most important thing that he could use to like for his you know calculations and things it's like you have to be able to look outside the box of mm-hmm. things and <clears throat> exactly the the antagonist the bad guy in the never-ending story was something called the nothing mm-hmm. the nothing um, so that that's just that really kind of blows my mind. And by the way, for you folks out there who have not seen the Neverending Stories, but you keep seeing this meme that shows Artex, which is Artex, which is the horse being stuck in the swamps of sadness, and with a caption that said, "This ruined my childhood." Those are for people who didn't pay attention to the freaking movie, because he does not die. Spoiler alert: he does not die. He comes back in the end. Everyone does. So how could a movie where everyone comes back to life ruin your childhood? It's what, where the focus is at, right? Like you go through that journey and bad things will happen, but it's what you focus on in the end. Like I never, in, in my, like I never think like that was a sad movie. 
that was a sad part, but I'm like, that was a bit badass movie. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone comes up in the end. Like, I, I don't know why some people think, like, our text just died. Well, there's some people who, who are little kids that fell asleep before the end. <laughs> so, are, you, are you pointing I at yourself? I was one of those kids. <laughs> I have really bad ADD, and I can hardly ever finish a movie. I mean, I, I fell asleep when I woke up, though, so I know it did end good, but... That part was pretty You good. fell asleep when I took you to see Fifth Element. <laughs> I fell asleep watching 90% of the movies I've ever watched. <laughs> you, are, you are a movie sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's so funny? This is like a little weird segment, but um, I, somebody was telling, talking about um, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and they were asking me if I liked it. And I haven't seen it since I was like younger, of course. So, of course, it represents my gothic-like childhood. But I remember what mom took us... And she took me and all my friends when we were in, like, I think middle school or something. And she kept falling asleep. And uh, and she kept waking up. And she would loudly say, like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm not sleeping because it's boring. I'm sleeping because this guy's voice is so soothing. And then she would fall asleep and <laughs> snore a little bit and then wake up and go, sorry, guys, what I miss? And we're like, shh. I'm like, mom. <laughs> yeah, mom. Our mom talks a lot in movies. It's but it's so fun, like, if you're, you know, if you're, I mean, in a movie theater, I was kind of, like, mortified because there's, like, people who don't, you know, they're yeah. trying to enjoy the movie. Oh, man. Well, the, the funny movie story watching movies with your mom was, uh, that what's that that one where the the plant like the the oil mining thing in the, no it's not event horizon but it was the one where uh, it's the true story of those people that were on the oil rig on the ocean and it blew up oh fuck what is that movie called I don't remember um, oh yeah yeah I remember that yeah, that's mm-hmm. when I'm like the day that I we got back and I was like viciously ill and I threw up in a butterfly sanctuary <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah and then we were like watching this movie and like shit's like blowing up and it like I'm thinking like this is what my insides feel like and then your mom's just like ah! and then I'm like I got way more into the movie because like she's screaming and then I'm screaming like, yeah. oh my god what is he doing oh my god what's going on and I'm just like and I'm there like st- I, I was a little sick too so I'm just like uh, uh. oh my god well the interesting thing about our mother is that she's what she's who got us into horror so back in the day once again I don't want to sound too nostalgic but there's something called VCR and there is something (laughs) called beta and VHS so like (laughs) Mm -hmm. we um, we only had a a beta before and uh, before and it was because it was like hand-to-hand and a lot of people tech people tell me that beta actually was a better a better item but Mm -hmm. VHS kind of took off and so, you know, the fun like side fact on that is yeah. because the porn industry backed VHS. Oh, I didn't even <laughs> and know same that. Same thing with like, like DVDs. Oh. Like it's always the porn industry, whatever they back. That's that's the media wow. that takes off. Wow, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. But sorry, continue. No, that's okay. Um, so we would rent videos, but because we only had beta, there would just be like this small section, and it became smaller and smaller until finally it was only like a couple of like things that we could rent. Finally, my dad like gave in and bought a VHS. But my mom, we would each get to choose a movie. So I have, so it's me and my sisters. So there's five of us and my mom and my dad. So my dad got to pick a movie. My mom got to pick a movie. And then we as the kids got to like, you know, choose a movie together. And uh, my mom always picked like B-horror movies. Mm-hmm. And so we grew up on that stuff. And it's interesting that it was like our mom who picked it. I think the, and it's funny because a lot of it to me, because she really loved a lot of uh, supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. And to me, that wasn't really scary. Like, until this day, I love supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. But she, there was one movie, I don't know if it, it affected you as much as it did me, that still terrifies me. I don't, I've tried to watch it, but I was too scared. And it's uh, Santa Sangria, the, that, um, 
Um, was it Santa Sangre? Yeah, Santa oh, Sangre. Yeah, Santa yeah, Sangre. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't he did Holy it's, Mountain. Do you remember, he it was kind of like Psycho, but like it was in like I think it was in Spanish. It was, was it like, in Spanish? It yeah, the lady with the like arms, the like claws. she was the, the the puppet. I vaguely remember. Oh it, yeah. my gosh, that movie! I, I can't even imagine seeing that like as really a kid, young. right? Yeah, that was like intense. <laughs> <laughs> right? They let us watch the most like vicious, violent movies, and then there's like a boob, and they're like, close your eyes, it's Boomba. That was the same thing. <laughs> don't look at the, like, you can watch all of the murders, but yep. don't look at the boobs. I never understand that. Like, I mean, it's weird, that's a weird thing, because it's like, I get it, yeah, you don't really want to kids to see sex and stuff, but then it's like, but we're kind of like, oh, people are killing people, whatever, that's fine, you know? But then right. it's also like... This is real life. People actually get murdered in real life. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but, one of these days I'm going to have boobs. But, you know, but, like, sex and nudity is way more natural than, like, murder and, and like, normal, you know? Like, so it's it's just a weird... Like, if I were to raise a kid now, I don't know. I don't know if I would... I don't know. I wouldn't even know how my take on that. Like well, da- them well my see. dad said something one time. I remember he said something along the lines of like, well, it's obviously fake. Like you're getting killed and it's obviously fake because you're watching a movie. But mm. then the sexy parts, it's, almost, it's like if you're kissing somebody, you're actually kissing them. Or if you're like touching a boob, you're actually touching a boob. So even if you're acting, it's still like the act is happening. Mm. But if you're like murdering somebody. And I remember he saying, him saying something like that a while, a while ago. Mm. Yeah. He was probably joking around, but... Like always kind of stuck with me. I was kind of like, oh, this kind of makes sense. You know what? Let me just explain this for you. (laughs) You know, our dad was known as the rock and roll mailman. Yeah. He like tricked out his mail uh, mail truck (laughs) and played like um, classic rock and like reggae. Huge speakers in the back, like just like regular ass speakers. Yeah. For real. Yeah. That's amazing. I can see that. uh, Everyone loved him, and he got lots of gifts on Christmas and, like, nice. the holidays, and he knew everybody, and it was cute because he would, like, learn the, like, a little bit of the language of each family, so he would, like, try to learn, you know, like, a greeting if it was, like... Nice. Well, know. actually, the spe- he didn't have a big speaker in his mail truck. I was talking about our band. But well, in his mail he truck... He did in the mail he truck. He had his... His... He, t- he turned his lunchbox into a <laughs> stereo, so he actually rigged it, and it has, like, a little speaker coming out of the side of the, mm-hmm. the lunchbox, and it was, I thought it was so cool that oh, he... that's pretty And bad. the lunchbox little... was huge, by yeah. the way, so yeah. don't think of a little lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah, he put, like, a little tape deck It's like there. a little cooler. Little yeah, a nice. little, little cooler, and then you yeah. put a speaker in it, and I thought that was so cool. I was like, my dad's so cool. Like, you just totally made this, like, walking stereo thing. Yeah. Cool. yeah. And back to, like, yeah, back to my childhood, um, my dad was a builder. Mm-hmm. Is a, still a builder. He's mm-hmm. kind of talking like as if he's not around. He's around. He's in the Philippines. Hi, Dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Um, no, when he had a garage and he was constantly building stuff and um, they were night owls and um, some of my fondest memories with my father would be just, like, sitting there watching him build stuff and then him being like, oh, do you want to help? And from from the get-go, I already knew what, like, a Phillips screwdriver was. I knew, you know, um, all the, just the different tools. I knew what, like, a Molly was because my mom's name is Molly. So he'd be like, hand me the Molly. You know what a Molly does? <laughs> um, but it's weird because I never in a million years thought I would be building stuff. It seems so complex. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, like, as a kid, like, I'm going to be building stuff like you. Mm-hmm. I was just so, it seemed like magic. Yeah. So I was there's no way I was gonna even touch that, mm-hmm. and that even goes on to to the art phase, which mm-hmm. was my dad, my sister Rani, um, almost everyone in my like family was like super artistic, and I really 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 wanted to be a part of that. Like I knew I had these crazy visions in my mind, and I wanted so bad to put them out onto something, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't very good, like 
you know, people say like, oh, until this day, people go, oh, I heard that you say you're not very good at, at drawing, you know, like, I think you should try that again. But I'm like, no, I kind of know. <laughs> some people got it. Some people don't. Um, yeah, but I guess, I guess when you're not producing what you're seeing in your head, it's like a cartoon version. You're not happy with it, you know. And, um. Like, my dad used to, we used to have this um, eraser board where he would write the chores and funny things. And he would write, oh, my God, did you put that sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Yeah, I did. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Randy, do you want to tell that yeah, story? Well, one time I was bored. <laughs> and I was a little pot stirrer when I was a kid. Yeah. So Understatement I, of the century. <laughs> yeah. I just wrote, dear Molly, drug, sex, and rock and roll. Love, Nilo. On the mar- the marker board that's on our refrigerator. Nilo is my dad's name, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so that's, that's my parents' names. And uh, they didn't even notice it for like a week or two or something. And then when they she noticed it, she got so mad at him. Like, because she probably just thought like he got drunk or high and, and did it himself. And he's like, I didn't. I, I didn't, Molly. I, I didn't. And I was just laughing so hard. I know. But I was like, I'm not going to fucking admit this. Cause, like, but the funniest thing is that for until recently, until like just a couple of years ago, I always thought my dad did that. Until I was like, remember when dad did this? And Randy was like, oh, I did it. And I was like, oh my was, gosh. <laughs> dad got in so got much trouble. trouble. He wasn't even sure. He was like, I, I didn't. I, I, I think I didn't. So that was what was funny. I was just, because I knew how to, I used to um She's an copy expert his, at copying yeah, signatures copy his, write, his writing. Well, especially dads. I couldn't copy moms, but like my my signature actually ended up being exactly dad's signature from copying it so many times. <laughs> You're so bad. But um, so on that on that dry rice board, though, my dad would just like randomly like do everyone's like character, you know, like when you go on the boardwalk or you go to Disneyland and somebody does like a caricature of you. My dad could just do that all the time, yeah. all day long, and they were really good. They really looked like the pe- the people just with like a freaking marker. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always so jealous of that. And then Ranny ended up um, being an artist, and she was she painted her entire room. Um, like faces and faces. like, and the faces were so cool because they were like, I don't even till this day, I don't even know how she did it, but it was like she did a bunch of like, our, like our family and people in her room, and when you would like walk by it, like it looked like the faces were like following you. Nice. Yeah, it was crazy, and I was just like, I would secretly like get all you know the paints and stuff, and then I'd try, and I just really couldn't do anything that wasn't like super cartoony, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's not my style. Like I'm not into like cartoony stuff mm-hmm. i mean i am now but like back then i was trying to be more serious mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's um it's interesting as a kid because yeah like for me too like i just had like so many ideas and i mean i still do but like it, it feels like something inside of you that you have to get out and it's like you had all of this imagination you had all these stories and um <clears throat> the uh you know, you just had to find the means to, to express them, you know, and properly. And I think it's, as an artist, that's kind of how we, that's part of our journey is to find our medium, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and that's really important. And that's also something that artists that are aspiring to be artists and stuff, you should try out as many mediums as you can because, you know, like it's, some people get discouraged. They try something and they're like, I'm not good at it, you know, and then they give up on art. But art is such like a important part of, you know, being creative and, Creativity is super important. Yeah, it's like a, it's a big part of the soul because yeah. you know we're all creators, whether you think you're creative or not. Just mm-hmm. existing is you creating the persona that is you. Yeah, and I, I think it's cool that you brought up the never-ending story as like you know one of your favorite films because it's like 
we're we're shaped by the stories that we see as a kid. You know, mm-hmm. the, not only our story that we live, but the stories that we see. And you know, movies like The Neverending Story shape an entire generation. And I think it's just like even that we were just like telling stories from your childhood, and that's like that's a part of how it turned you turned into you today. You mm-hmm. know, and it's story is like probably one of the most universally important aspects of, of being a human. Oh yeah, that's what I went to school for. I went to UCLA for story. All right, so so we got so you've always yeah you were super imaginative. You got like other kids in trouble because your stories were so good and, and like, engaging. That's true, um, storyteller. And then your family was artistic. So now yeah, so you graduate high school. What what do you do? Um, I was. Um, so when I graduated from high school, I actually wanted my my I had a specific goal, and it was to be a teacher for children or uh, people or people, children, kids, adults, whatever with uh, special needs. Mm-hmm. And and it was because I spent the, the the last couple of years of my my high school career spending most of my time with the special needs kids, mm. and um, it was interesting because you know. Um, they were they had all you know had all kinds of different things that made them what you know what you would call what some people would call different mm-hmm. um, but and I didn't even realize it until people at lunchtime would tell me but it's like you know they would drool on you or they would be you know hard to understand and some of them actually couldn't speak in fact I had a really good friend and her name was Su Chen and um, she couldn't really speak but she had her and she couldn't really use her hands but her feet were amazing and so she had this specially built kind of like uh it's like a rolly i wouldn't call it a wheelchair because she didn't you know she didn't use her hands to roll around but she used her feet but she had this giant binder in her and in, in like compartments and whenever she wanted to say something she would just pull like she was so flexible and she could just with her feet pull out different binders turn it to certain pages and like point to different phrases and stuff oh wow and it was super efficient wow yeah, it was really amazing, but it was like, I had people who were like, oh, you know, that room was really hard to be in because it smells bad and things like that. And I was like, whoa, I never noticed that. So I thought, I kind of thought like it was like, well, how come I can't, how come I don't notice that? How come I see these people as just normal people? Well, it must be a superpower, right? Mm-hmm. And if I have a superpower and I'm like squandering it, if I'm not using it. Mm-hmm. So I thought like that was my goal in life was like, okay, I understand these people. I just see them as like normal people. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I was gonna do. And of course, when I moved to LA, like everything changed. But <laughs> I still kind of feel guilty about that. Um, one thing that I found very fascinating was um, I went around asking. I did this like little minister st- study for myself, and asked them if they had like one wish. Um, what would it? What would the wish be? Mm-hmm. And because um, you would. Obviously, you know, a lot of people would assume that their wish would be to be like, oh, what we would call normal, right? Or to mm-hmm. not have the thing that makes them like different. Mm-hmm. And almost none of them wish that. Really? Yeah. Um, and most of them wish that they could dream hmm. because a lot of them couldn't dream or couldn't remember their dreams. Really? And they were so curious about what it was like. They were way more curious oh, yeah. about what dreaming was like than about what being normal was like because they didn't really, they, in their mind, they were normal and they were happy and they were really loved. Like hmm. the people in this class were really loved mm. and so they were way more happy than the people that I saw like on wow. the, you know. the shitty teenagers yeah, <laughs> the teenagers that had like this angst yeah, and you know 
it's it's hard for people to look at things from different perspectives. I just watched a show like explained about like designer babies and stuff and how like something that had never even occurred to me is where, you know, like designer babies they like pick genetics and make people like genetically perfect and stuff. But there's like uh, a big people like everybody in the dwarf community and everything, they're like they're basically like, you know, we don't think anything is wrong with us. Like society thinks something's wrong with us. Like why should our genes like be eradicated? Like there there was they interviewed a lady that was like uh, second generation raising like a third generation with uh, of her kids had dwarfism too and she's proud of it and she's mm-hmm. like nothing is wrong and it's like it never even occurred to me to like that was like quite eye opening because yeah it's like I would I guess it's just initial reaction you would assume that that you know you, people would want to be like normal in air quotes but then it's like you can, we can't think that way you know right. because like everybody <clears throat> forms the way they do to learn the lessons that they need to learn and, and experience the way they need to experience you know it's like it's yeah it's really fascinating and speaking of that kind of like being formed and like having your path like be paved for you um there is this point in in my life where i was like not quite sure what i was gonna do and singing was really important for me because i was um you know i was doing a lot of um operatic studies (laughs) thank you and um I was performing as an opera singer, and um, so I thought that was like where my path was leading me. And this was the the, the very be- kind of beginning of um, America's Next. Uh, uh, what's that? The the famous one, America Idol. American, American Idol. Idol. Yeah. Yeah. American mm-hmm. Idol. Sorry, it was like American's so long ago. American's Next Idol. <laughs> <laughs> um, but was strange because they've changed it since, of course. But when I finally like so many of my friends and my my professors and my colleagues like at in college were like, you should apply for American Idol. And um, when I finally got the nerve to do it, on the application it says that you have to make sure that you're not 30 by the time like the show airs. Like mm. you can't be 30. And that literally was the year that I was going to turn 30. So I was like crushed because I felt like I was too old. I felt like, you know, my um, my opera coach kept comparing me to Charlotte Church and he was like, you're going to be in the next Charlotte Church, but you're just a little older. And it kind of made me feel like he was like, and he was like, don't worry, though, no one can tell. No one can tell. You don't look this old. And it just felt like, oh, wow, I have to like hide the fact that I'm like this used up old creature. You know what I mean? Like it was such a weird feeling. But of course, who who goes on to win like these, the, you know, American Idol or these like people who like don't have the look that they were expected to have, don't have the age that they're expected to have mm-hmm. much later. It was like much, much yeah. more accepted later. Mm-hmm. But I always kind of see that as a blessing in disguise because that was before I fell back into art. Mm. Like if I if if I went on to American Idol, not saying I would win, but it would definitely have paved a way for some kind of musical career. Mm-hmm. And I would never even have thought of doing something artistic which now is what I live for what is what I breathe mm. you know so what uh, what pushed you back towards art um, I was at a point in my life where uh, I kind of was taking care of uh, taking care of a lot of people mm-hmm. and um, I had a therapist tell me once at one point that I was taking in orphans mm. and I didn't realize that a lot of my friends were like what some would consider broken people of course I, I wouldn't consider them bo- broken people mm-hmm. but somebody who needed somebody and I always kind of I always kind of deem myself as this like person who needs to save somebody mm-hmm. and that's not healthy right like mm-hmm. the therapist told me something that blew my mind and she said that you know it's it's really kind of you and and admirable of you to to kind of label yourself as this giver but she was like but you should never do that because givers 
only attract takers and takers attract givers. Mm-hmm. And she was like, and I was like, well, what should I label myself as? And she was like, well, you shouldn't label yourself at all. But if you had to mentally, then you would ha- you should uh, labors- you label yourself as balanced because only balanced people attract balanced people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> mind blown. Yeah. Um, because I had not realized that that was what exactly what I was doing, mm-hmm. which I was like m- kind of collecting friends that I thought like I could be their therapist. And that was what I, you know, that was my goal, right? It was like I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to be somebody who helped somebody. Even when I was kind of being like selfish in my goals, mm-hmm. like not doing something that was like a service job or career. Mm-hmm. I was still trying to do it in like my personal life, which is way even worse, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's a big part of what makes being compassionate really hard because it's it's a really fine line that sometimes you don't even realize is crossed by the people that you're trying to help. You know, it's like... Especially when you're surrounded by them. You you should like, everyone needs help (laughs) because everyone I'm surrounded by needs help. Yeah, my nickname was Mother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nickname was Mother. That's pretty crazy. And none of these people did anything wrong. I think it was just the the situation of the the nature of the relationship, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But, and it's so true, what they say is no one can help no one can help you but yourself. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't want to be helped, you can't be helped, no matter how much resources you ha- you're given or anything. And so there was a point where um, relationships in my life that were very important to me were kind of like crumbling before my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I had to make this uh, decision of whether, you know, it was like, am I going to be this loyal, loyal to the end and just like go down with them and like flames, like this whole romantic notion? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, or do I save myself and like jump ship, you know? Um, which was like one of the hardest decisions I ever had. And so I kind of, um, I kind of did. I had to jump ship and I had to let go of some really important people in my life. And then seeing them fall to the fate that, of course, um, was like the worst thing, worst fear, worst, worst fears that I had, which I was like spending all my life savings trying to save these people and then to see them kind of like fall into whatever I was trying, had been trying to save them from for years mm-hmm. almost completely broke me. Yeah. So I locked myself up. And um, I didn't know what to do with myself. Completely locked myself up in my room, in my house. And, um, but I have responsibilities. So I was running a publishing company. Mm-hmm. And uh, the publishing company was something that, because uh, I went to UCLA for English Lit. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I, uh, I was more, way more interested in creative writing than English literature. Mm-hmm. And um, sorry to backtrack. But, uh, yeah, there's this writing program at UCLA, and it's you can choose fiction or you can choose poetry. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really hard to get into because you have to be accepted by three professors, three different professors. And each professor only took 15 people a semester. And if you couldn't get in by the time your two years are over, because I transferred from Santa Monica College, then you're you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that concentration in creative writing. Mm -hmm. But I was so determined because I was like... I really, I love English Lit, but it wasn't that fascinating to me as much as the creative aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And so I was like super, super determined to get into this program. And I did. Um, But the, you know, the sad part about it, I guess not sad, but it's like kind of like the wake up call, the kind of like the burst the bubble thing was like, it's not only teaches you the art of story and how to write a story and the, the logistics of it, which that was my favorite part, but Part of the program was showing you the real world of how it is to be a publisher, to be published, to be an author. 
And it was just another bunch of crappy politics, man. Mm-hmm. It broke my heart. It was like, oh man, I worked my way up to work with this professor who was actually like, you know, a number one bestseller and this is how you do it. And it's totally has nothing to do with what you write or it's like pure luck. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't having that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I kind of want, I fell away back to the, the uh, sorry to digress, but I think this no, is actually. important. Yeah. Um, Go where the story takes you. Thank you're, you. You're good at. You're good at. That's what you do. <laughs> you spin stories. So. Well, but what was fascinating to me was how the how novels came to be, which is back in the day, no one would just like read. You know, the entertainment wasn't like the radio, wasn't like TV or movies. It were these like little zines, mm-hmm. right? And so what these authors would do is write these short stories in these little zines, and then through these little like zines, through these little short stories, people would read enough. To, for the author to gain popularity and then they would write they would be like in demand and then they would go oh I'm gonna write like some novels now hmm. and that makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. than what they were telling us at the time at UCLA which is like no you need to take two years of your life off to write your like masterpiece novel hmm. and and then you have to like shop it around to like an agent or a publishing company and then the publishing company or agent you know once they pick you up they have almost all the rights to this book mm-hmm. and so if by chance somebody who is more popular than you happens to put a book with the same title or something similar, they can completely shelf your two-year idea. What? Yeah. yeah. So you're broke as fuck because you spent two, yeah. two years off to write your mm-hmm. masterpiece. What kind of fucking business model is that? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty <coughs> and then also janky. these are novels that aren't like, you know, 200 pages. They're like these are novels that they want you to write that's like 600 to 1,000 pages. Oh, jeez. And if nobody knows who you are, nobody's going <laughs> to want to read 1,000 pages by you, yes, right? Yeah. So the only way to make that happen is to be already on the New York bestsellers list. And that is all a whole, that's where the politics comes in, right? It's like who you know. Right. What so, are they teaching people there? That yeah. So and then, and granted, this was a long time ago. My my, my uh, bachelor's was signed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> nice. So, um, so keep this in mind, folks, if you're going to get mad at UCLA. It might be an outdated system. <laughs> I mean, well, just thinking about technology in the state of any creative industry is wildly different than yeah. now, you know. Yeah. So, so I went to... I, I went to um, I graduated and I wanted to start my own publishing company and it was all about short stories. And um, But I soon found out that people didn't even want, at this point, it was the early 2000s, um, people didn't even want to read short stories. So I paired it with my love of art. Because even if I couldn't do art, I'll be damned if I wasn't working in the art world. And so I would hire, I was the art director. Mm-hmm. I would take a story that I loved, written by you know friends of mine from UCLA or, or myself, and, um, and then I would have this vision and then I would look up, put out ads on Craigslist, and I would look up the artists, and I would ask them to illustrate certain stories so that people could pick up the book and get an idea of what it was, mm-hmm. and then like invest their time into reading it. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, so I was at the Hive Gallery, which is like where it all started, mm-hmm. and um, I rented out the back room, and I was like a, a collection within a collection. So I was like a hive within a hive, mm-hmm. um, because I showcased the artwork that were in the books that I was publishing. Mm-hmm. And Nathan uh, from the Hive Gallery um, kept asking me to do art. He was like, when are you going to make art? And I was like, but that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't believe that. <laughs> and I'm like, trust me, Nathan, you don't want to see the art that I can make. Like, <laughs> it's completely embarrassing. And he's like, I don't believe that. <laughs> and so um, right around this time, there are two kind of like uh, catalysts for, for the beginning of my artworks, which was... Um, I had a, a very wealthy friend um, 
who, when you have a very wealthy friend and they can buy themselves whatever they want, what do you get them, Mm -hmm. right? So I was like, I want to make them something, but I don't know how to make them anything. Mm -hmm. So I had that stirring in the back of my mind, and then Nathan was like, this was 2010, December. Um, Nathan said that, no, it's like November, because December was the catalyst. Nathan said, hey, we're going to have a December show where everything's $50 or less. Surely you could make something that's $50 or less, Ave. The pressure is low. <laughs> and so I was like, I think I could do this, maybe. So, yeah, so when I locked myself up in, in my house, kind of depressed from seeing people, like, fall apart before me, um, I just, all I wanted to do was sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a sleeper, right, Ranny? Like, mm-hmm. Ranny has... Man, have I put this girl through the ringer? <laughs> it's very hard to wake this when we were up. roommates, I would say, "Okay, I have this really important job interview tomorrow. You have to wake me up no matter what." Mm-hmm. And she would like literally, like, yank, pull my legs off of the bed. I climb back in. I could yeah. sleep talk to her and pretend like I was ah, awake. It's okay, I don't need to do that thing anymore. It's not important. It's fine. I already called, made a phone call. Like you like just like talking to me, but you know, with your eyes closed. But you're like, I already made phone calls, so I don't have to do the thing anymore. I'm like, okay, and then. I'm I'm like later on she's like wakes up she's like what the fuck is wrong with you why did you wake me up <laughs> and i'm like i did dude <laughs> like i don't know like you seem very convincing so she's like no matter what don't let me convince you but it would always happen i mean she wouldn't convince me but it was just like okay i'm just gonna wake her up a little earlier set an alarm yeah she was playing music she was doing everything she finally found one thing that works the best though which is to just stick a bunch of food in my mouth because i just start to chew it and like I start to wake up. Yeah, she's Interesting. A sleeper and an eater. I forgot about that yeah. technique. <laughs> yeah. That was the one thing that will work. So I've always been like a sleeper, like a deep, deep sleeper, and I could sleep all day and I could sleep on command. You could be like, Avi, take a nap right now and I'll just go to sleep. <laughs> Which I had no idea what an amazing superpower that is now that I'm older and I like, meet people who are like, you can do that? You know, because they'll try for days and not get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Which seems like torture. But, um, so anyways, all I wanted to do was just leave my life away. So I just uh, I just kept sleeping. And I started having these crazy dreams of, which I didn't realize at the time, which were more like flashbacks. And it was me collecting items. Remember, Randy? Mm-hmm. I used to do that. But because uh, I'm short, folks. I know the pictures are very deceiving. <laughs> People always meet me and they think I'm really tall. And I seem really tall because I'm always wearing giant platforms. And I'm all leg, so it's totally convincing that no one would suspect I am five feet tall. And can you imagine a little kid being, you know, that short? So uh, I would find things on the ground all the time. And I would, they were like my treasures. And they would be like a piece, like, you know, I would see like a spider leg that had like a cool design. And I would put it in a little jar. I like a little glass jar or something. Mm -hmm. I would find a piece of a, you know, piece of a spider web, a piece of a flower. And they're always like pieces of things. They were never even like a whole flower or like a whole bug. It was just like a piece, like a beetle wing. Look at this crazy beetle wing with these crazy designs. And um, they were my treasures. And uh, even little pieces in the garage, because my dad was always like cutting metal up and cutting wood up. And I would find like a little piece of wood that would look like something, you know, or a little piece of metal that would, to me, look like something. And I would collect them. And I remember that when I woke up, I was like, wait a second. And so I like pulled out all the junk drawers in my house and I like dumped them out onto the table. And I just started like separating things and was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make little treasures in little bottles and see if anyone was interested in them. But the the most important thing I found were like old watches that I had. It's like people like to save their old watches, mm-hmm. which is weird because now watches are back in style. Did you notice that? 
I haven't noticed. Uh, it's like that was like my, my secret thing. Was like I could go to Goodwill and find like watches like for like five dollars, and now they're like ten to twenty dollars uh, each. I'm like, oh, I make them into things that are like twenty to thirty dollars. This sucks. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I opened up the watches and I just started taking them apart out of curiosity, and the pieces look like a head, an arm, a leg, and um, and I was like, wait a minute, well, these look like pieces of like people, and so I started sticking the pieces together, and I'm like, oh my god, that's like a little man, that's like a little bird. And so that was the that was the genesis of something called Watchbots, and the little robots made out of watches. Actually, Sig came up with a name. Oh, really? I <laughs> yeah. That. Oh, yeah. Because the first ones I made would look all they all look like birds, so I called them Birdbots. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but then I was like, well, like, they're not always going to be birds, and you're like, oh, why don't you call them Watchbots? Because <laughs> they're all made from watches. So I was like, oh, oh, that's way better. Way way better. Yeah, that's actually like, and it is a like a small side note. Like we're talking about life events that put you on different paths. Like you're actually the the person that steered me into showing an art gallery. It's like I always wanted to, but I never had an out. And then you you showed my first piece at the Hive. In yeah. Your, in your room. So. Yeah. Which was sold yeah, right away. Sold, totally. Yeah. So, thanks for <laughs> that. That encouraged and now, now you. I'm here. <laughs> then you had um, then you had your solo show there, mm-hmm. and it was a big hit. Yeah. That was, you know, it's funny. I still t- tell people this day about that because we were all like, we had this huge group of, of us friends helping him. Like, you know, we were working round the clock. Grossly underestimated the, my, I, sometimes, well, I used to be really bad at like time <laughs> management, but. He still I'm, is. Yeah, I'm trying to get better, but yeah, and it was, yeah, it was like last minute and like, I had so much work to do. And then, yeah, everybody's like helping me. We were helping him make plaques and stuff because he had mm-hmm. um, alien heads. It was like, um, you know, almost like taxidermy heads, but it was like captured aliens and different creatures. And it was super cool because, um, but it was so funny because we were working around the clock and we we're like all fading. And he would be like, dance party. And we're like, no, stop. Well, it's just, I'm almost done with this. Nope, dance party. And he would like slap like, you know, paintbrushes out of people's hands and like put music on and be like, like dancing. And um, wow. I try to do that till this day now because I remember like how funny it was like no matter how grumpy you can't be like mad at somebody who's just laughing and like smiling and trying to get you to dance in the middle of the night try arguing with someone like having a valid argument against someone that just dances it's just dancing around you and they're just dancing and they're laughing (laughs) and they're having the best time ever you just can't you'd have to like be just biggest curmudgeon ever to be like no dancing is a powerful tool and so like comedy and humor in general is like like I wrote down the other night it's like uh, it's the only thing that escalates uh, anger, or like, is is the reaction to it, because anger by itself can be diffused by either laughter or just completely like the opposite reaction. You know what I mean? But when anger, somebody gets angry at you, and then you get angry back at them, then it just keeps going boop boop boop. But then if somebody yells at you, and then you just start dancing, like, <laughs> where is that going to go? Uh, probably somewhere better than shouting. You know? Yeah, exactly. So. So that was my first, um, so I made these little like um, treasures and bottles and some of them were like watch bots and, um, and the watch bots also came to be because my friend, the, the wealthy person that I was talking about, he collected um, antique tin robots hmm. and uh, that was like the one thing and I was like, I wonder if I could make like a little robot. So that was also in the back of my head. Hmm. So it was like mm-hmm. Nathan with my friend Bruce. And um, and then just going back to my childhood was the very very beginning of me making stuff. And I it still it took me years before I even called it art, because it just seemed weird. Because 
It just seemed like I was gathering things and putting them together. Mm-hmm. Although I wouldn't consider myself an assemblage artist. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes people see my work and they're like, oh, the assemblage artist Ave Rose. But I don't think that's correct because assemblage art, it's very important to see right away that they're separate pieces mm-hmm. and, you, and to recognize them. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is so cool. This was like, you could see this was like an old bicycle thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but with my stuff, it's put together to where... Even if I pointed it out, you'd be like, no way, I can't believe that's like a goat's tongue, like mm-hmm. a preserved goat's tongue. You also, know? I feel like it's a form of like witchcraft in a sense because that's kind of what witches do. Oh, they collect you. ingredients and then they, they sometimes put it in a thing and then it's like a magical piece. So I can, I, I can totally see why people see your stuff and feel the magic because you're literally putting magic into your art. You're not just throwing something together to make something else. You're like... It, well, it all means something. And also, I mean, like, you're literally reviving these, like, these animals and, and uh, insects and things that have passed on. Like, you're, you're, you're creating something new that is enjoyed. You know, you're giving it a purpose. Thank rather you. Than a, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, that is magic. Yeah, you know? and that means, that means a lot to me because that is part of uh, what I do, what I, what, why I do what I do, which is, I mean, I didn't do it on purpose, but in retrospect, I've done, like, so many interviews and I've discovered that, um... For me, it's 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 like bringing bringing awareness because when I f- discover like a bug or a creature that was once living that I find fascinating and I want to put it in my art. Number one, I need to know exactly where it came from, and I'm not gonna just take somebody's word for it. Mm-hmm. So when people come to my booth and they're like tiptoeing around and they're like, you know, I'd hate to ask this, but can I ask you where you got? where you got this this specimen from and I'm always like don't be afraid to ask demand answers Mm -hmm. like that's awesome Mm -hmm. Um, because so many times we take people's word for it you know you always see somebody who uses something and they're like well this you know this wasn't killed this wasn't killed for my art well yeah maybe it wasn't killed for your art but was it killed Mm -hmm. you know and I don't want to be a hypocrite because I I am a meat eater Mm -hmm. and I have do have some things that were that were part of the you know that were our food products that were probably killed for food and I use it in my art mm-hmm. so I can never say that everything that I use was not killed mm-hmm. but I try to be ethical about it mm-hmm. and um, anything that is you know um, dwindling in numbers or where it's you know something seems fishy about where I got it mm-hmm. I really need to make sure I know exactly where they come from and, and not only do I want to know where they come from but I want to know way more about the specimen like what is this species where does it come from what are the different variations mm-hmm. that's and part of the magic too it's part yeah, of the alchemy it's so exciting because um when I learn something I just can't wait to share it you know that <laughs> Randy knows that <laughs> yeah yeah it's so f- this girl uh, a stocking on Christmas and she will explain every item she got in the <laughs> on video <laughs> pencils daddy pencils pencils with erasers <laughs> it's so funny because uh, I was so excited about um kindergarten when I, I remember being in kindergarten, I remember the first day, and like the teacher was explaining to the parents like things, and as they were, the teacher was explaining stuff. I was so excited. I'm like, this is amazing. Like she had this fake little store that if you got enough stickers, you could buy stuff in the store. And I was like, oh my gosh, like 
this is great. But there's so many kids crying. <laughs> like as soon as their parent walked away, they were just crying with their mouths open. I just, I could see it till this day. They're like, ah. <laughs> and I was just looking at these kids like, what's wrong? Like, look what we have before us. And um, I was just so excited about it. I couldn't wait to tell Rani. And uh, I would come home and I was like prepping her. I'm like, oh man, you're going to love kindergarten. Oh, yeah, she... <laughs> and I totally thought she was going to love it. And I didn't find out until I think just like last year or something where you were like, Man, I'm so mad at you because you made me think that school was going to be so fun. <laughs> I know. She would, like, stir, like, in the summertime, she talked about, like, how amazing. And then, like, I was a completely different kid than her, though. I wasn't, like, all, like, I wasn't into that much. Like, I, I was very judgy. Like, I would even judge my, as a kindergartner, you know, like, judge my teacher. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know about her. I don't know if she knows everything. Like, I was, weird. I was an old soul. She's very like, suspicious about everybody. Yeah, yeah, with the kids crying, I'm like, what is fucking wrong with them? I wasn't like, look what we have before us. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But why are you crying? <laughs> you just making it worse for everybody. No, you're making it worse, and you smell like pee. <laughs> Peasant. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. Oh, why did I digress? I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. So, um, <laughs> all the good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, yeah. So you started with the watch bots, and then then you started incorporating like taxidermy elements and animal elements and insect elements. Oh, what yeah. was the what was how did I get that yeah. going? Well, with the watch bots, it was interesting. What I didn't realize was I kept trying to one-up myself because I didn't even know that I had this ability to make stuff that was in my mind. That was fun and lighthearted because, um, oh, and I, I forget to mention that I was an author when I, was, when I had my publishing company. I put mm-hmm. a couple of my own books out, and they were always so dark mm-hmm. and, like, completely the opposite of what I think is in my mind. I don't know how that shit got written. Mm-hmm. Um Every time I would write something, and the way I write is I write a story in my mind starting from the end to the beginning, and I have the entire story completely written before I start writing. And um, and so I never understood when I was in these writing classes how I would meet these like other authors that were like, oh, I have like four books in the works. And I'm like, how? Because <laughs> I couldn't, I'd have to finish one thing. Like I'm a completer. I always finish one thing before I start another thing. Uh-huh. And it's only usually done in my mind before I even begin it. Uh-huh. And so like that would drive me crazy. But, um, but I don't know how, so these things kind of wrote themselves in my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, and they're always like the saddest fucking stories ever. Like I would read them and I would be so sad and I would want so bad for these characters to have happy endings. And I would meet people, you know, at these like author meet and greets and stuff and I would sign autographs on these books. And um, and people would go, why why'd you do this to this character? She was such a good character. Like, why did she deserve that? And I'm like, I don't know, man. They're like, you're the one who wrote it. Why didn't you give her a better ending? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't change it. They're like, write something else. Write something happier. And I'm like, I can't. Um, almost every story, every not, not almost every single story that I had written during that time was, um, was a tragedy, mm-hmm. a horrific tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always disappointed in that. They were popular and I thought they were great stories, but I wouldn't watch that kind of movie. Like, I wouldn't go to the movies and watch that kind of movies. I don't like sad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like movies where nobody gets something in the end. Like, no one gets what they deserve in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, where the bad guys win, the good guys, like, fall short. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate those stories. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know them. why I was writing them. <laughs> it was becoming quite famous for them at the time, like, cult, cult famous or whatever. Um, 
So it was nice to kind of make these funny little robots that were bringing smiles on people's faces. That was so refreshing to me. Mm-hmm. And but and I took it very seriously when somebody would make suggestions because I didn't consider myself an artist and I had zero pride in my ideas. It was never like you know this is my idea. Stop giving me advice. So anytime somebody was like you know it would be great. If, if this was this or this was that and I would be like oh my god that's a great idea I wanted to try it and so when people saw the watch bots people were like oh my gosh wouldn't it be so cool to see where they lived wouldn't it be so cool to see like this or that and I would, that would be like a challenge to me I would be like yeah I'm gonna do that mm-hmm. that's what I'm gonna do and so I started making where the watch bots lived and um, I started kind of incorporating like movement um, to, to the pieces but the main thing was is I had this crazy dream um, where the watch bots were riding butterflies. Mm. And it was called, and it was a, a that, you know, it was called um, uh, Butterfly Port, because the butterflies, instead of airport, butterfly port. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I got this idea that the watch bots were mechanical creatures, and so uh, all their power came from natural things. So when you see their little like structures and buildings, you would see like little tiny glass domes with like roses growing, and like the watch bots kind of like looking over it, and it would be like a power plant. And, um, (laughs) and, um, but yeah, the watchbots and I thought I woke up thinking, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be so cool to see a watchbot riding a butterfly? And, um, I've always been the kind of person to, it's gotten me in some sticky situations, but, um, I have these grand ideas and I always think that I can do that. Although when we did the, the golden child, oh yeah, (laughs) that was a bad idea. Um, just smashing cans, thinking that they're gonna is gonna pop back up. That leads dancing. to another funny story. So, if anyone has seen the movie The Golden Child, starring it. Eddie Murphy, um, which is a great movie, and to the this day, I think that leading lady is one of the, like the most beautiful ladies I've ever seen. Um, but there's this dancing uh, soda can. It was like a Pepsi can. I think it was like a Pepsi can yeah. that just it just like stop motion, and he just like he gets crushed. The can gets crushed, yeah. and when it gets uncrushed, it turns into a little man. And does a little tap dance yeah. with a cane. <laughs> I think the cane was like a match or something. I don't remember. Something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to make that. Like, yeah. I just told my sisters, Rani, who's two years younger than me, and Ranila, who's two years younger than her. I don't even remember how old I was, but I was like, we're going to do this. I and was so, probably like, I, like five or four, so you're probably like six. Okay, seven. seven. Okay, yeah. And I grabbed my sisters, and we got, I got this, like, carved little stool that was from the Philippines. Yeah, it was, like, like, a family like heirloom. Wood, like, beautiful wood-carved <laughs> stools. Like, they're, oh little, they're perfect tables for If you guys could see my face people. right now, it's bright red. Because I'm still embarrassed <laughs> of this. But um, I just took a can, uh, an empty soda can, and I brought it out, and I just grabbed my dad's hammer. And I just started smashing it. I yeah. had no plan yeah, at all. Like, you know, once it's smashed, maybe he'll just pop just, up and do his own thing. I just thought if I kept smashing it, that it would just turn into this robot, like dancing robot. And so we're, I'm like smashing away, not even thinking of what's going to happen next. I'm just so sure of this plan that my, but my dad hears the smashing and he comes out and he's like, put them in the mall. What are you doing? Dog? You know, he just starts freaking out because he's like, I've kind of destroyed the beautiful little stool with a hammer. Hey, you added character. <laughs> and, and it's like, and I'm looking at this thing and it's like smooshed to oblivion. So I'm just looking at it with baff, like baffled. Like, wait. And, and then it was not like I really, I don't even know what I thought, but it was like I, that reality sunk in where I was kind of like, wait, what did I think was going to happen? Right. <laughs> 
awesome would it be if it did like pop up right. and start dancing? You're around. like, Dad, just wait, you ruined it. So I've always you never had forgave him for that. I've always had this really strange mentality where I'm like, I have this grand idea and I'm totally determined to do it and I don't care how I'm gonna do it. So that's what happened with the butterfly port. I was like, wait, why can't I do this? Mm-hmm. I was like, butterflies exist and I have these robots. Can I make writing these things writing on a butterfly? So I looked up online um mechanical moving like toys sculptures things like that and i started reading about motion mechanics um and started teaching myself um the the very very minimal theories of like behind motion mechanics and Mm -hmm. making things move um but the best thing i came across was this um doctor in india shoot i forgot his name but i'll i'll tell you later and you can put it in the link if you want but is this doctor in india who um teaches kids how to make uh, toys out of trash mm. um, because, you know, he was felt, always felt so bad that there were these kids that had no toys. And one was um, a flying bird made out of uh, paper clips and paper plates. Mm. And I saw that and I thought that was like such a great blueprint for my butterfly. So I was like, well, instead of using a paper plate, what if I actually used a real butterfly? And instead of paper clips, what if I actually used real brass pieces? Um, you know, instead of having like a cardboard box why don't I have that like a actually beautiful wooden box Mm -hmm. and so I just kind of grabbed pieces and started making shit (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I can't believe it worked (laughs) yeah I I mean like us being around that watching the evolution of your art and I I think that's the moment when it was like it really turned into like I'm starting to see your style like gel as a whole you know and it was like adding that organic element to the mechanical was really when I started to like be like like oh that's Ave you know thank you yeah it's interesting because it was like you know it's these things that I'm like to me I'm taking at face value I'm not like what does it all mean you know why am I making these whatever um, but it's funny from doing like interviews and stuff and having like the interviewer be like oh on a deeper level they're like oh so what is it about you that wants to bring dead things back to life what have you lost and I'm like oh shit <laughs> dun, dun, dun. you know um, but it is to me it is the knowledge and this whole um throwaway culture you know you get things and it's meant to be you know you have fashion and you know it's meant to be cheap and fall apart in like a couple of years because fashion is supposed to change in a couple of years but I don't like that idea I don't like that idea that you have something that you once loved for like a year or less Mm -hmm. and then you're like on to the next thing Mm -hmm. it's this disposable society I wear the same boots I was wearing like 10 years ago, but they're, they're finally starting to talk. And I'm like, I need to find a cobbler. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. Let me just talk some smack about a cobbler in our in Culver City. Okay. Because I brought in, I have a bunch of, <laughs> I have a bunch of like platform shoes that started, that I bought like, you know, yeah, they're like 10 years old. So they're like starting to talk, but everything else is perfectly fine on them. They're just starting to like kind of move away from the platform part. And so I'm like, you know, I'm not going to, you normally I take like shoe glue or whatever and try to do it myself. But I'm like, hey, why don't I just hire like a professional to do that? They should have the stuff. So I like went, it's like on, um, right off, off of where like Jefferson and Sepulveda merged. There's like, I think it's called like Mike's Shoe Repair or something. I'm totally calling you out, Mike, whoever you are. But I brought in a bunch of platforms, like all excited and I put him on the table and he was like what is this and I'm like oh can you repair these shoes and he's like oh he's like these this is ridiculous what are these and I'm like they're my platforms and he's like are these shoes these shoes like 
50 bucks each or something? And I'm like, well, some of them were 100. <laughs> and he's like, get these out of here. What? Yeah. Oh with my your God. And he was laughing. He's like, get these out of here. Get these out of here. And he like shooed me away. Oh yeah, God. I was so embarrassed. Wow, I guess people it. only fix shoes if they're like expensive shoes. I know, like, like to repair it, it would cost. I, was, I mean, like the same amount as a shoe. I was, don't know, was that man. Place just like is that just a money laundering place? Because like, <laughs> I mean, how much business do cobblers get these days? Like, right. You, know, right? Like, you think he'd be like, oh, oh I'm gonna cool, cobble like yes. it's hot today. <laughs> I, I was, I was waiting to. I was trying to work in cobble like it's hot somewhere. Like, no it, way. Yeah, you guys. We, we had no this long time ago. We had this. We had this idea. We were gonna do a music video. Yeah, cobble we, like it's hot. Yeah. Oh really? Just, like have to do like <laughs> tapping like, the hammer into the cobbling. thing. <laughs> cobble like it's hot. Like I should have given one. it a bad review. Oh, I think I did. I think I did give it a bad review. Yeah. That was super embarrassing, man. That guy threw it's me out. Deal. Don't Pipe. bring platforms to, to Mike's. He is uh, prejudiced against platforms. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-platforms. <laughs> Anti-platforms. <laughs> but but yeah. So um, <clears throat> the fact that. Um, I have something that could have been thrown away in the garbage that could be like, you know, in the ocean right now or, or just like piling up somewhere is now somebody's new treasured item mm-hmm. is what makes me happy. And and that's the best part about um, about the feedback that I get because I'm inspiring a lot of people to do this. And, you know, of course, in the beginning when you're really protective of your ideas and you're kind of like afraid of people like, you know, taking what you've done and like stealing your ideas but I've, I've kind of come to terms with that and realized like this is a beautiful thing this is like a gift from the universe to be able to inspire someone who loves your work so much they're not ripping you off they're like they want to make what you make and if what I'm making is things that are trash that means it's like less trashable that's more treasures in the world mm-hmm. I can only make so much mm-hmm. um and to have people, they tell me they go on walks with their kids now and their kids who've seen my work who are like, you know, oh, Ave Rose found this like stick on the ground and she turned it, she put it under glass and like these kids are making these little treasures now nice. too. And they're being more aware of their environment. Mm-hmm. Connecting with Mother and Nature. Connecting, yeah, exactly. Like seeing things and, um, and, and to kind of see what somebody would, uh, you know, not only seeing trash as treasure, but seeing, um, seeing something that you know i guess was once living and you know that something that was once living and now dead but not seeing it as something that was once living now dead but seeing it as this beautiful structure mm-hmm. you know um or transformed yeah. yeah i mean there's some people think it's morbid to use like things that were living but i think like i never understand that like the the cathedrals in um in Europe and stuff, like we're all made of like bones and stuff, and the monks just volunteer their remains to be a part of these like bone chandeliers yeah. and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you raise that's the vibration fucking the awesome! Place. Like mm-hmm. that, it, everything like, has a vibration, and when you're putting it into your art, you can feel the vibration of the, the work that you put out. You know, and the shape, and you create like you create like a an experience that lives on past. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're all gonna like we're all gonna have remains. You know, mm-hmm. our consciousness goes somewhere else, and then this suit is left like might as well do something really beautiful with it rather than just i don't know exactly and then i think that's something that we should really teach um everybody not just kids but you know when you see something dead whatever was there is not there anymore Mm -hmm. you know that's what they're leaving they're leaving a gift for us Mm -hmm. and would that whatever that spirit is or that creature was would they want you to mourn them 
I don't think anyone, I don't, I, I can't imagine somebody wanting to be mourned in that way if they've moved on, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's like, if I'm leaving something, if I'm leaving place, like if I went to visit a friend in France and I left them like a souvenir, I wouldn't want them to look at the souvenir and like be sad that I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. I want them to be like, this souvenir represents like the great times we have. This is awesome. And to appreciate the item in itself, mm-hmm. you know? That's so it's a really interesting take because, you know, like Western funerals, like they're really sad. Like, there are a lot of cultures where funerals are like, it's a party, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's what I would prefer because, like, no matter the circumstance, like, if I were to pass away, nobody, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting. I don't think anybody wants their their loved ones to be sad. They're yeah. still here, you know? It's like, that's, because that's just pain. You yeah. Know? So it's like, we should definitely start to shift our, our views of death and how we think about it. And I think what you're doing is, is, a, is a great way to start that conversation and, and present new perspectives. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. all about the celebration, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then just to, to, to kind of marvel at the science of everything. Like I said, like when I see a skull or I see like a leaf or something, I, I see structures. Mm-hmm. And I see it almost like, not to say I'm an architect, but I see it like with an architecture, an architect's eye. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's like old houses. Old houses to me are so fascinating. And I've never, you know, I like to go into, you know, a, an old house and like just look at the molding and look at how it was built. And I'd love to rem- remember, like, try to imagine like, oh, what it was like in its heyday. and you know, what kind of grand parties are here. But I'm not sitting there trying to think like, oh, what kind of, you know, like w- when did they leave and why did they leave and oh, how sad that it's like abandoned. Mm-hmm. Like who thinks that? Was there you a know? murder in well, the house? <laughs> <laughs> this place must be haunted. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, so I'm glad that it's giving people like these new points of views and that's like the greatest gift that anyone's going to have is to inspire with your art and to have people see things that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Nice. There's also this uh, psychic ability. I don't know if it's called like tokenism, but that, that sounds like something else. But it's basically where people can hold an object and uh, feel like the psychic memories attached to it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if like if you have any latent like token psychic abilities. I wonder. Like, I think she does. I mean, I mean she like has seeing, magical powers. Yeah, sure. it, definitely. And in seeing the evolution of your house, like it's, <laughs> you know, when I first went to your house, it had like fur walls and stuff, and actually like. I didn't even know you and I was like I looked at the DVD collection I was like I have to know who lives here (laughs) so I was like again because of the stories that you collected on your wall was the reason why I even wanted to talk to you in the first place so it's like these this is how important story is to people you know it's like if you if you know what stories resonate with someone then you probably have something in common with that person but um what was my original point uh oh yeah your your place has just become more and more magical over the years it's like you, you like for those that don't know, um, what do you call your place again? Oh, my, well, my house, inside of my house is a room called the museum room. Mm-hmm. And it's where I showcase um, all my finished pieces, but in a kind of whole art installation. Mm-hmm. But it's, you have this, like, amazing ability to, like, basically, like, yeah, make junk into art. Because, like, even the things that, like, you have... She has so many things in her house, and it, but it doesn't look like cluttered. It doesn't look like junk. It looks like just beautifully arranged, like art. It's, it's <laughs> Thank crazy. You. Yeah, it's like it's it's so cool, and it's like every time I'm there, I see more and more stuff like show up, and it always looks like it. It's where it should be. I really is. appreciate that. That's why I think like it's fo- so fun for people to visit my place because um, I think the difference between me and a hoarder, because right, I'm always trying not to be a hoarder, because mm-hmm. I'm there's like that fine line. Yeah, oh, but is the fact that I'm always. Um, 
my stuff is always changing and I'm always selling my stuff. And I challenge myself uh, when I do a show, I will literally pick like an entire shelf and I'll say, I have to make everything on this shelf into something and sell it this weekend or try nice. to sell it this weekend. And so when people go there, they're like, is it different? It's like, yeah, it's always changing and I'm always acquiring new stuff, but I'm always using it. And so it's, you know, you're never going to see the same thing twice. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just fun. Like, you know, gra- grabbing all these things that just kind of like magically appear in my place. That's like, there's so many fun, you know, mm-hmm. there's just so many crazy stories about that and, yeah. and, and my museum room. And because, um, that's what I was going to say. I'm not a traditional sculptor. I'm not a traditional painter. And I was never trained, and so I don't know how to. And I'm not trained as a, as a mechanical engineer as well. So everything I make, um, I can make some crazy thing. And if it's been a few years, and I always try to make something different, I completely forget how to make it. Mm-hmm. But also because my pieces, the pieces to to my puzzle, to my art, um, is is my art. I don't know how to put this. Basically, it's like my easel. Mm-hmm. The stuff you see on the walls and everything, I have to see or I'll forget because there's like a million and one pieces. Yeah. Well, I th- I think if that's they're in drawers, what... I'm going to forget they exist. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to say is that um, your your materials, you, you have a way of making your materials waiting to be turned into art art already by the way that you arrange them to be like to await their use is, is thank what you because yeah, it's like mm-hmm. yeah I think that's the best way to put it is that like your raw materials the way that you just store them on display is is art it's before they magic even, touch yeah, thank you it's art. funny like, you say that too because it's like one more millimeter perfect <laughs> <laughs> I'll be using you later <laughs> it's funny you say that because you know we go through so many different emotions as artists from like you know for, for me to be even surprised to be considered an art artist um, to kind of like oh this is my idea and protecting it to like oh no this is like this is collectively our idea and I'm happy to share it um, that was one thing that I was like a little bit bitter about before was like because I started seeing these um, like assemblage artists that would be showing at group shows with me and of course their pieces were beautiful but there was a little bit of like this like bitterness inside of me where I'm like really that sold that's exactly how I just display my bones at my house that like sold as an art piece mm-hmm. um but then of course you know as like as i matured and grew, and grew riser i realized like wow that's actually a cool thing that um that's you know that's that person's art is like arranging stuff but that's that's the end of that story like it doesn't move on to something else mm-hmm. so like that phase of that story or that journey like it stops there mm-hmm. and to see that as like a piece of art that's like that's amazing mm-hmm. that's that's their that's their artistry is that they saw that as the end of the story to me like that's their art mm-hmm. like simplified i first i was like wait a second these people are getting paid for some for things that i just kind of like put out there mm-hmm. but it's not it's not the act of putting them or the way they arranged it it's what they it's the fact that they were like no this is this is art in itself and they took that whatever it is and put it out there for people to look at where you know i have mine out and i like people to enjoy that they're they're there but i would never want somebody to be like and i do have people come to my place and go how much is this and it's just it's just my art it's just my art materials mm-hmm. and i'm almost like offended i'm almost like i'm almost like no that's not even turned into anything yet and they're like no but i like oh, this the way it is she's perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'm like no no but then it's like no that really opens your eyes to to the different forms of art and what moves people yeah well and also they wouldn't have seen it in that 
context had you not arranged it there in to store it in the first place. Yeah. So it's like you do have a very artistic way of storing your, your stuff. <laughs> She's Thank a tourist. Tourists are tourists are really good at finding the beauty in things. So she can make anything beautiful Aww. by just the way she <laughs> hangs it on her wall. It's like, it's like I got like some leftover turkey bones from Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's be funny because like, like, like oh. <laughs> it is funny that anytime we have like find anything dead or a fun insect or something, we're like, oh, let's save that for Abe. <laughs> but I think one of the important takeaways from your story is that, you know, all of these people, you exude your vibes, you exude this creativity and stuff. And, and a lot of people were like, no, you're an artist. We know you're an artist. It's there somewhere. And then <laughs> yeah, right. you're like, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, and you're, then you're a creator. finally, when you were able to, and see this, I, this goes back to why I think that's so wrong about them teaching you, like write, take two years off your life and write a book. No, you have to, you have to live mm -hmm. to write the book and, and you have to live to find your art style because you, you walked us through your story and it was all these different events in your life that culminated into melding into your story that you tell through your art. And you can't, you can't just like, let me just take a break from everything and then write my masterpiece. No, your masterpiece is your life. Right. And the things that you pull from your life. And I think it's important for people to realize that and not get discouraged. And, you know, if, if you feel creative, like, you explore it, you know, because, like, the only thing that's going to stop you from being an artist is yourself, you know. So I think it's, it's really great that you finally, and I'm sure it happened at the right time, you know. It's like, you were like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do this art thing. And you did it. And then it's like, it just constantly evolves and it keeps like getting better and better. And, you know, the, so that's, that's something I want to like take note of to, for the listeners to, you know, think about. Thank you. I really appreciate that. This is, this is such a fun conversation. Um, and just to plug some, uh, this, going back to like my writing. So I was telling you guys that the writing that I had done, I was like, I still think they're great stories. I stand by them till this day, mm -hmm. although they're, um, you know, you've been warned. Mm -hmm. They are heart crushing. Um, I was challenged by this amazing publication called Forbidden Futures. And just last year, or this year, 2019, oh my gosh, it's crazy. Right. It seems like a million years ago. Um, but to be part of their all-female anthology. And um, I was really terrified. They were fans of my other writing. And I really didn't want to find out that the stuff that I write. Because I've honestly, I've retired as a writer. Mm -hmm. um, actually, as a, as, a, as a novel writer or story mm -hmm. writer. Um, I have news about a different type of writing mm -hmm. <laughs> that I'll reveal in a second. But, but uh, yeah, when these publishers came to me, and this is actually, if you guys want to look it up, Forbidden Futures, I think ForbiddenFutures.net or ForbiddenFutures.com. You'll, you'll know once you see it. Um, but this is a real professional publication with amazing writing and great art. And so I was actually intimidated. Um, I was honored that they would, that chose me and wanted, and that they were, I even knew that I used to write. That was such an old part of my life and that they actually believed in me to write something new. And, um, but I was terrified. I, I was so afraid that I was gonna come up with something and realize that those demons that I thought were released were still inside of me. So it took me a really long time for me to so-called pick up the pen, but I did happen to write the story. It's called The Book, and it's in Forbidden Futures um, issue four, I believe. Um, but that, that issue has actually sold out, and there is now an, um, a collection of their first 
for issues, I think. So if you go to ForbiddenFutures.com, just look for the story, the book, and see what um, collection it's in. And buy it because I'm really, really proud of this. It's a story that I haven't written since uh, 2007. And so to, to write something and to be proud of it and to feel like, I personally don't think it's dark. Of course, it's still like, it's sci-fi themed and there's a lot of stuff that goes on, but I don't think it's a sad story, my interpretation. So um, if you want to know what's inside of my, that weird part of my mind, you can go and check that out. Nice. And, um, but the other thing I want to plug is a different, completely different mm-hmm. type of writing, mm-hmm. which is um, Disasterina, the famous drag queen and I got a TV show that was picked up by a network called LTV, and they're the network that has put out the very famous series called um, The Boule Brothers Dragula, Search for the World's Next Super Monster. Um, Disasterina was in seasons two and three. Um, and Sig, you actually did the the special effects for season three, right? Yeah. How was and, that? Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then I got to be a guest judge, which was also a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, if you guys haven't seen it, you guys can watch it um, on Netflix now, right? Or is uh-huh. episode yeah, three on Netflix it's on too? Netflix, yeah. Netflix or Amazon Prime, whatever you got. Um, but yeah, what, what episode was that? It was. Uh, later, one of the later ones. Yeah. Like seven or so. I mean, you're not going to want to just watch this episode because yeah. that'll be weird just anyways. Just watch, watch the, the season. Yeah. But his, art. when he's the judge, we in Disasterina kept like rewinding it so many times because it was so funny <laughs> and this is the only time you'll ever see the Boulay brothers laugh this much <laughs> and like and not in like like with an evil laugh like an actual like <laughs> happy go lucky jolly laugh which is like you'll never see ever well, it, was again. Like, it was like I mean the, the mood was so intense there and it's like I remember being on face off like how intense it is being like judged and then I'm like Okay, I'm just going to start saying some really weird things. And you, the names you made up, I don't remember what they were, but I was like, oh my God. Yeah, what was that thing you said? I'm going to have to let them see something it. Something about a bungleberry mix. Yeah, bungle- <laughs> bungleberry. <laughs> With your fez hat. No, that's, you guys have to watch Dragula. I'll watch all of them, I would suggest, but um, Dragula is season two and three. Mm-hmm. Um, but three is, is the most recent, and that's the one that Sig did. Um, but you and Disasterina show. Though. So, yeah, so we got a TV show picked up. It's called Sado Psychiatrist. Um, there's not, if you go to um, at Sado Psychiatrist um, on Instagram, there's not a lot up right now just because um, the network. Um, doesn't want to go and promote full force. It's not a secret secret anymore because we did have the the thirty second teaser mm-hmm. um, come out during the Dragula season three grand finale. Whoa! <laughs> um, but it's a horror comedy. It's as as if um, the Mighty Boosh and um, John Waters and Tim and Eric had an orgy <laughs> with, yeah. Hannibal. with Hannibal. So, um, but yeah, it's a murdering dominatrix therapist um, who likes to, who has this crazy crew of interesting characters and her, um, the people that she, you know, supposedly there to help, she kind of tortures and manipulates, but all in the funniest ways, I swear. Mm-hmm. No, it's really, like, I, you know, I, I was involved with a couple things and any of the everything (laughs) he was our fx go-to guy yeah Um, Yeah, he did the effects he did some acting yeah yeah i'm yeah and just every 
the dialogue. Too, yeah, I'm Manny's in it. In it. She's really Ave's good. in it. Mm-hmm. We're all in it. It's, it's like I, I read the scripts and then like what I've seen of uh, filmed or watching it get filmed. It's just like it's so it's funny. So funny. Like the, <laughs> like the you're I'm mentioning so the writing. Yeah, it's like the the jokes are fucking like just on point, man. It's like I can't wait for people to see it. It's it's I you know often yeah like trash cinema and like John Waters like that's a it's a niche that nobody's really running with that torch anymore, and it's like it's something that the the cult world needs for sure. Thank you. And it was fun because it was like you know people always like to joke like oh you don't use the thing that you went to college for, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm using the thing I learned in college. This is amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this the whole idea was Disasterina's idea. She came up, she wrote the entire pilot, came up with the the concept um, for the pilot. And then when the um, the network wanted us to do um, an s- entire series, we had to come up with episodes. And together we came up with with you know what the episodes were going to be about. And we were like, we had to sit down and write this. And we, at the time, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a lot of fighting. And we never fight, but I just assumed that's just what people do when they like write a script together. <laughs> is there going to going to be a lot of fighting? <laughs> and we actually didn't. We had a couple of like just you know adult disputes, but. It was. It just came. It just came together so magically and perfectly. And um, because he is very, she is. I'm sorry. Very dialogue driven, mm-hmm. and um, I am plot driven, of course, because mm-hmm. I am the storyteller. Mm-hmm. And so, no matter how wacky we got, I always made sure that we stuck to the rules of story. Mm-hmm. So you can make as many crazy things happen as long as you have an established set of rules mm-hmm. and you stick to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of people when it comes to like wacky stuff and comedy and um, and fantasy, um, it can go real bad real quick because they don't stick to their own rules and then suddenly it breaks that, that reality, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and even if you introduce, even if you have something that's never happened, as long as you introduce new rules to adhere to, you mm-hmm. keep introducing the new rules. And so he's always, Disasterina, she, sorry, um, she's always laughing at me because, you know, we have some crazy thing happen. And I'm like, wait a minute, but how is that possible? And I'm like, and not everything is explained in the episode, but I'd like to be able to, if we had like a panel and somebody went, wait a second, mm-hmm. you know, some nerd was like, wait a second, how is this possible in this scene? And I know exactly how to answer that. I'm totally prepared, folks. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> I filled in all the plot holes. As crazy as it seems, you just watch. Yeah. So that that's gonna be coming out. Um, we're uh, around the end of February, early March. You can see the teaser trailer on on Instagram at Sado Psychiatrist, and just follow um, at Ave Rose. That's A V E R O S C one three Ave Rose thirteen on Instagram or at Disasterina. Um, that's where we'll be promoting um, anything that has to do with sadopsychiatrists. But if you want to follow me in my art, that's where you can find my art. And currently, um, during this holiday season, I have my Etsy store open that you can buy stuff at. And that's averosestore.etsy.com. And check I'm, out her stuff. It's so good. Check out my stuff. And the prices range starting from, you know, I have my books. If you want to even read some of my books, my books are on there. And they start at like $5. And things go up to like, I don't know, like a hundred bucks. So don't be afraid. You see these like crazy, um, you know, automata that I make that are like thousands of dollars. But I make stuff on my Etsy. They're the miniature versions, so they're very affordable. Yeah, definitely uh, check out Ave's art and buy lots of it. And it makes great gifts. You make jewelry and you make um, like... 
they had, yeah, wall, pieces. wall, yes, yeah, uh, still sculptures, like wall hangings and things like that. And um, don't get discouraged if you go on and you see that there's not that much. Um, I've been very lucky this season, and people are constantly buying stuff, which is great. But um, but I haven't put everything up because I didn't want it to all be up. I wanted to be able to kind of slowly put things up so mm-hmm. people have a chance. So I'm da- I'm adding things daily mm-hmm. to the and site. And also, uh, do you you take commissions? And yeah. I take I'm, uh, yeah. That um, was closed for a while because we were working on that TV show. But I am um, just now starting to take commissions. Mm-hmm. And you've you've had like clients uh, have like a an animal pass away or something or like a pet or something, and haven't you like turned that into? You know like- what's funny about that? Just real quick is um, I've had so many people think that that idea is a good idea and I always warn them that it's not going to be a good idea and mm. they give me a deposit and they swear it's going to be a good idea and mm-hmm. then when a the time comes they can't bear it and they just let me keep the deposit mm. for my for my troubles yeah but, so if um, you want give her a deposit <laughs> so if you want to just give me free money no um yeah it's uh but sometimes though that does it does work out it seems to work out for reptiles and things like that mm-hmm. but like I wouldn't suggest it for somebody who has like a dog or a cat. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you guys have like a bird, um, I could reanimate the bird. If you guys have um, reptiles or things like that and you want me to preserve them and make them into a a piece of treasure, I can totally do that for you. Like tarantulas, insects, anything like that. Yeah, so. Uh, Cool. And then it would, is that like a, should I, if, Anybody wants to commission you, should they email you or something? Yeah, or? you could just, if you guys aren't on um, Instagram or, or Facebook, you can just find me at um, AveRoseArt.com and my email, which is Ave at AveRoseArt.com. And you guys are having a holiday. Uh, you guys are selling stuff for for Christmas too, right? On your on your. Oh, uh, Etsy. Well, I think we're just taking it down tomorrow. So if yeah. you do hear this episode today, <laughs> yeah. then yeah, Let's it's see. December tenth is the last day. Yeah, so. that's a cutoff. For us. Yeah. Oh, for um for our, to mail like, it out. For like for to take to orders. Order. Yeah. Oh, you're making yeah. things to order. Yeah. Oh, guys, you guys better <laughs> better jump on that. Do you have things? Do you guys things that aren't made to order? Like uh, sometimes. Yeah. Okay. It just yeah. depends. Okay, so check out their you check out their site because you just might be lucky enough to find the one thing, one or two things that are not made to order. That's true. Well, snatch it up, it, snatch it up, say, folks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean whether it's us or not, like you should always like supporting independent art this time of year is is the way to go because you can yeah. get unique gifts and you also support people following their passion and uh, you know that's important. I think it's good karma when you buy art too. So. And I write cute little notes personal notes to everyone who buys something from me. (laughs) So also, I'm going to tease another episode. Ave was also on a reality competition show called Steampunked. And uh, which was very different from mine. Hers was a first uh, season reality show. And then also, so I'm going to get Disasterina on the show and also Ave. And then we're just going to talk all of our different experiences on reality shows and how they related. And also I'm going to get Disasterina as a guest to talk about before that well. episode, I will go on in a reality show, and then I'll be able to talk. About <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get her to go on MasterChef, but you know. Oh yeah. yeah. Right, like she's yeah. totally. She would like slay it. I'm telling you. But you know. Or burn the kitchen down. Yeah, you're definitely <laughs> going to become like. Some well, kind regardless, of you would be a character on TV, and then we would just be like a big family of <laughs> reality <laughs> TV stars. When are we going to get our show together, man? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Avi. This is a, that was a great talk. Thank you, and, Thank uh, you for yeah. having me. So, all right, everybody, check out Avi's stuff. I had all the links she gave, and also all of the 
in the show notes or the description, I'll have all the links to Ave's stuff as well. So, good night. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yeah.